Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. And we welcome back our Rockets expert, Frank from Rockets Chop Shop for a special trade deadline uh, show. And this should be fun because we got Eric Gordon, Garrison Matthews, Bruno Fernando all gone. We're going to get to that shortly. But first, the Nets implosion. And Frank, it's just two years and four weeks since the Harden trade and Brooklyn's big three are now all gone, having played a grand total, grand total of 16 games together. What was your reaction when all this dropped in the last couple of days? Yeah, it was crazy because we, we um, on the Chop Shop, we just finished doing the post-game live stream um, for the uh, the Kings game and how, you know, how controversial the last play was with Eric Gordon. Literally five minutes after we got off air, um, at around 12, like 08 or something like that, um, the Woj bomb hits my phone and I'm seeing that Kevin Durant was traded. Now, leading up to this, I, I did not see Brooklyn making this move. You know, all they talked about was, you know, they're going to basically try to take their time and do all this um, stuff and may, talking as if Kevin would be there with them. But apparently, you know, they've uh, this was in the works pretty much the whole time. And the haul they received back is, is, is a pretty impressive um, package. Um, I would say... As far as um, in a vacuum, that trade is a, is, a, is a decent trade, I guess, given the circumstances. It's the best that they could get for where they were. Now, this can't be separated from the Kyrie Irving trade, um, which kind of was the trigger for all of this, um, with him being traded to Dallas for a, a first-round pick in two seconds, and then um, Finney, Dar- uh, Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie. You pair that up with the Kyrie Irving, uh, with the Kevin Durant trade, with them getting back, um, uh, they got back. Who did they get? They get Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, four unprotected firsts, and I think four swaps uh, from the Phoenix Suns to send KD over there. Uh, and and at the end of the day, the Nets made out with eight first-round picks, um, including uh, four from the uh, unprotected, four unprotected from the Suns, one for, uh, I think two from Philly still, and uh, one from Dallas, and I forgot where they have another one from. But all to say that, for them, they are in a weird spot, honestly, um, because at this point, their roster is pretty much built with a bunch of role players, elite role players at that, but they don't have a guy. And for us as Rockets fans, what this means is that this is a premium time and space where there's some flux and uh, uncertainty about what they're going to do with this specific roster. It's one thing if you have a star player on there, um, they don't. Um, they have a lot of great players. They have a lot of draft capital right now. Mm-hmm. For them, they could have multiple courses they could go through. But I think um, for us as Houston uh, and for Rafael Stone in the front office, they would be doing their due diligence to stay on the phone with the Nets because there are some intriguing pieces that they have currently on their roster that I would love in Houston. Um, and also, um, if they wanted to, I still believe that they could fill the competitive roster uh, and actually land a, a big name with the amount of assets they have. Yeah, I want to get to where the Nets are in just a second because, you know, that's what all the Rockets fans are talking about. And I'm not sure about one of the angles that I think the Rockets fans are taking on this. But just a reminder before I mention that to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube and listen to us on your favorite podcast app. But Frank, I know Rockets fans think, oh, Brooklyn is going to be an immediate a disaster. These picks are going to be great. Are we sure they're a disaster? And you mentioned it a little bit. They got some good players here. This is a team, 
with a bunch of vets in their prime and up and comers as well. Nick Claxton, defensive player of the year candidate, who's growing into more than just a defensive guy. If you look at his stats in the last month, month and a half, he's averaging 17 in the last month to go along with the rebounding and the block shots. And then there's Cam Thomas, who just scored 40 plus in three consecutive games. And I talked to some Rockets people on Twitter and they're like, well, wait till he, you know, gets uh, a little bit more of the defenses. I mean, he's had a lot of the defense angling towards him because he's been doing this without Kevin Durant and in some cases without Kyrie Irving. But let's remember if this was Jalen Green in his second year hitting 340 pointers in a row, I think the Rockets fans would be like, oh my God, what is this guy? And, you know, he's 21 years old. So just a reminder to everybody. And when Cam plays, he scores his per 36 this season, 23 points overall. And then there's Finney Smith, Bridges, Ben Simmons. And you take Ben Simmons out, I don't care. But Finney Smith, Bridges, Royce O'Neal, they're all elite wing defenders, or at least close to elite wing defenders. And then Dinwiddie, who's a solid veteran point guard, they can also shoot this team. You know, it's funny because you look at the three-point stats, there was a bunch of guys that were shooting better from three than Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving on this team that were shooting 39 40% and higher. This was a 39% three-point shooting team. The Rockets are terrible. That is the opposite of the Nets. Seth Curry, Joe Harris, and Bridges are all snipers, Frank. It's a, it's a good roster. Yep, and you forgot uh, Utah Watanabe as well. Um, really good shooter, a great hustle guy. He's a, you know, tall, long type of wing that really gives them a, a different type of um, pace on the court. Um, yeah, the thing with, with fans, and I actually sent out a tweet today uh, telling, not, you know, one of those party pooper tweets. Um, these picks with the Nets are just like stock, stock, the stock market, meaning that the, the value or perceived value around the NBA is going to fluctuate based on the circumstances that the Nets present on a day-to-day basis. It could literally be from day-to-day. Like if all of a sudden they go on like a three-game winning streak, the value might go down. If they look like, uh, you know, Cam Thomas and Dinwiddie are fighting in the locker room, okay, they go up. So they're really, the picks are just, the perception of them really impacts the value. And as we saw with the Kevin Durant, when he first initially asked for a trade, People were like, you know, patting themselves on the back and saying, yes, greatest thing ever. And then they went back to the craps when the Nets were like one of the top teams in the East within the next few months as the season started. Um, This could very well be the case where, you know, yes, Kevin Durant isn't there, but yeah, maybe they just land somebody else or maybe the team is actually competitive and they have a homegrown star players that develop within their system. Uh, Or they could just suck and be a a team that does tank um, the, the the problem with relying on how you feel now and what the joy is, is that it could change within a month, six months. I mean, if the Nets come out with a roster on the first game of next season that looks like a real contender, then those picks instantly are going to drop in value. And so what that tells me is a, as if I'm being prudent as a Rafael Stone or anybody in the Rockets front office is that you don't really want to wait and figure this out. <laughs> like we don't want to get to a scenario where we're finding out what each pick turns into every year, because usually you're not going to get any value out of that. And you have to keep this in context of the fact that these are the picks that were resultant of trading James Harden, a top five player at the time. And one of the, you know, greatest second greatest player um, in, in franchise history, What you don't want is to trade James Harden and watch a bunch of 16th, 14th picks, uh, 17th picks, 
come out of that. And when you end up with is uh, three role players and a bunch of swaps that never conveyed. Um, so I think that's why, you know, kind of leading to what I said earlier, if, if they were prudent, it'd be time for them to start looking at how do we aggregate these, these picks and make a move for a player that we like or players that we like. I'm of the mind that they can do both. If you pick one, um, then go with it. If you see an individual star caliber player that you are willing to go all in with, I, at this point, I don't think the Nets picks are even a, enough alone to get you a real, real star. You would have to include your own picks and any other additional picks, possibly the draft, uh, the 2023 draft pick and these uh, this uh, Bucks slash Clippers picks that, that we have in, also in 2023 to really get any huge stars. But if you see the Mikel Bridges of the world, and especially on this Nets roster, the reason I like this angle is that if you're and, – and there was a report today that said the Rockets were uh, kicking the tires, and that's a quote, on uh, Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson um, trades to Houston. Then, yeah, those are the type of things that you could also do with those picks. Maybe you don't give all of them up. Maybe you have to if you're going to get both of those guys. But I think fairly soon they need to um, start make, making a plan on how are we going to maximize these picks before we figure out that the Nets can actually build a contender and the next disgruntled star wants to go play with in New York with a bunch of elite role players and guys that could shoot and defend. Yeah, you mentioned Watanabe. I didn't even mention Cam Johnson when I was going through because those two guys are expiring contracts and, you know, they might go, you know, this is their last year, so they might go. Um, but what you're talking about is these picks need to go. You need to get them out of your hands. You need to get it out of your hands in the next few months because it's I've said it before. I will say it again. This is like a new car. As soon as you get it off the lot, the value is gone. So you got to trade these picks. You got to package them up. You got to start doing something. But Frank, I will say this much. I'm glad the Rockets didn't do anything with those Nets draft picks at the moment, because I think what you want to do if you're the Rockets is see where you land with this lottery pick. That might tell you where exactly you're going to be come the offseason. And I think it's at that point where you got to start figuring out, okay, who can I give some of these picks to? Who can we start zeroing in on and maybe going after? And when you know what you're going to have at that lottery pick, you might decide, hey, if we got Wemby, you know, let's dream big. If we got Wemby, then, you know, maybe Jabari is the guy or maybe Shane Goon is the guy that you can afford to give up in a blockbuster trade with the Brooklyn Nets picks. So I, I like the fact that they didn't do anything. I also like the fact, for, for the Nets' sake, that they didn't do anything because I think that they should wait until the offseason before they start figuring out what they're going to do because I think a lot more teams are going to be maybe looking for some certain things and they could package their, their guys up and maybe get a, a bigger fish with what they've got because they've got you know a bunch of first-round picks now between what Phoenix gave them and you mentioned, you know, some of the other picks that they've gotten, uh, not to mention the Philadelphia 76ers pick that they, that they got in the uh, Ben Simmons trade. Da Dallas's, you know, Dallas's pick as well. And they got five, uh, five second round picks from, for the Jay Crowder to uh, Milwaukee trade as well. Yeah. So they're in a, they're in really good shape, Frank, and, and they can, they can do something and, you know, they're in a market where players might want to come. I mean, they just got KD. They just got Kyrie. James Harden wanted to go there. Um, I, I know the circumstances all sort of came together in this thing, but those two guys picked Brooklyn. They're not going to pick, likely not going to have two guys that go up, like in their prime superstars that are going to go, okay, we, we want to go to Houston. It's a terrible team, you know, and that's the problem 
also, Frank, with where the Rockets are right now, because they didn't do a better job this year, they have not made themselves a desirable place if they were to start getting stuff lined up correctly. This was a year where you should have been making your guys look good for potential trades to up their value in case you wanted to package them at some point this summer. And it would have also helped to get these guys a little bit further ahead so other guys go, come in and say, hey, they're not that far away. If, if I go there and we get this other guy, then we can do something with this, with this team. And, and it would also help to have a real coach. You know, maybe now a star is going to be able to pick his own coach if he decides to come here. But again, who's going to decide to come here? I know James Harden is the prevailing guy, but I'm sorry, James Harden at this point in his career doesn't move the needle like the James Harden that we saw five years ago. Yeah, I think um, um, all of that is, is correct. And uh, with with Brooklyn, um, I think they've actually done a really good job. The, you know, even though the circumstances are they ones they put themselves in, the idea of what they were trying to do made sense. But, I mean, the outcome is the outcome. I judge, you know, it's a business, and you're going to be judged by your outcomes. But um, pivoting from Kyrie and KD, I think they've handled that very, fairly well. I haven't seen any panic moves from them yet. So I know that Sean Marks and and Joe Sy, they're competent, which once again scares me. You know, if they were bumbling all over the place, making dumb and irrational decisions um, and things like that, then you would uh, you would kind of be like, yeah, just let them, you know, screw it up. But this is the same people that built, you know, crawled out of um, the 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 Boston trade and were able to rebuild um, from scratch and get Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to them uh, and and James Harden. So. Yeah, I think they if they wanted, depending on what their goals are, they would be able to field something that makes those those picks less valuable. Um, as far as the Rockets, yeah, I'm glad they didn't do anything either. I actually was saying that to somebody else. Yeah, what you don't want is to limit what you can do. I think the biggest the biggest primest time we're going to be able to strike is on draft draft night, um, or at least the lottery night. Once we know where we land in the lottery, um, then you can have a full assessment, and we know where that that um, Clippers and Bucks pick swap is going to land as well, then we we can say here's that's at the peak of all the arsenal of, of draft picks we're going to have is going to be at that point. And at that point, then we'll be able to make an informed decision about are we going to make the draft and then maybe do a partial kind of um, aggregation of our of our assets or is this somebody out there that we can make an appeal to to be able to go all in on and, and see if we can land them. And I think that's really where the plan is going to hinge on right now. They haven't made it uh, easy on themselves. Um, you would like them to be more competitive and ready to receive that type of talent and and be a destination where somebody would be willing to come to without overpaying. But um, I can see us definitely putting money on and extra money to somebody that may not get it in other markets uh, just because we're trying to attract them here. But overall, I think that um, the KD trade and where it puts Houston in this window and like you said, the next few months, I, to me, the window ends pretty much uh, when training camp starts. Depending on who shows up for Brooklyn in training camp and how they look in the first kind of few games and weeks of the season, it could really plummet the picks down to a low. Um, and then we don't know. One thing people don't think about, like you said, maybe Bradley Bill wants to get out of Washington and he has a no trade clause, but hey, he might want to go to New York. They're ready for that. They're ready for anything that can shake loose of any star because they already have a setting for that star to be inserted into. They have all the assets they need to make to play the the bidding wars and the arms race 
that um, a team would need to be able to land a big star. And they're in New York. You know, they're in New York. So I think that they could also play this middle of the pack game until, as we just saw, if I told you like a week ago that Kyrie Irving would be playing in Dallas, Kevin Durant would be in Phoenix, um, you know, uh, D'Angelo Russell would be back in uh, Los Angeles on the Lakers. And if I told you what the rosters of these teams look like right now, you would think I was drunk. But the NBA is so uh, transient, it's always moving, that you don't know who the next big player is going to go somewhere. I don't want to find out if I'm the Rockets. I need to be able to move those picks, try to see this summer um, around the draft if we can, we're able to aggregate them and make this team better and start moving towards winning. I do agree they do have to um, get the coach right. You, once you get a coach, then you can make that decision about what direction are we going to um, as a team as well with the players that you're going to draft and the players that you're going to try to land. Because I feel like if you don't have a, a agreement between the coaching and the front office, it's going to be kind of ugly again, as we're seeing now. I want to speak to both the fans, a lot of the fans and the national media on what Brooklyn has done. A lot of people I've, I've listened to, a lot of people that I'm seeing on Twitter, they think that you are not doing the right thing if you're not trying to be the worst team in the NBA or the best team in the NBA. And I think there's a great thing that's being lost by everybody. And I've watched a lot of sports over the years. If you, if you can keep yourself in the middle, you never know when something might shake loose. A lot of times you, you end up like the Pacers have ended up over the last few years or Washington has. But I, I personally think like a Washington team, I just don't think that they've been run very well at all. It just seems like, their problem is not the fact that they're not trying to tank. Their problem is that they've got very bad evaluators on that team and they haven't picked great coaches either. And there just hasn't been a real direction. And I'm not just talking about a direction with, you know, being bad or being great. I'm just saying like a direction period, but everybody looks at this. I, I hear people, well, why did you get rid of all these, this good veteran or that good veteran? If you're a bad team, why didn't you trade him? What a worthless thing to have a veteran on a team that's going nowhere or it's a young team. And I've heard that with Bogdanovich in Detroit. Why didn't Detroit trade Bogdanovich? Well, you know, the guy seems okay with where he's at. You don't hear him complaining about being in Detroit. And it's a good thing to have a really good player. Like we know in Houston, it's a thing to have a really good player that's somebody that can help out some of the young guys that you've got. And I just feel like it's lost today, Frank. And I, I, I'm just kind of confused I feel like analytics is part of this because people look at this from an analytics standpoint and they don't think of this as like, this is people, this is culture, this is an organization. You and I have talked about it, but I just feel like we're talking to, you know, the blind and the deaf with this. There are a lot of smart people that I interact with that don't have a clue about the, how actual sports is played, how it's actually on the human side. Like the the, the human interactions that you have to have some of the psychology that goes into sports and building teams and, and the, the chemistry and all these buzzwords that we hear about, the culture and all those things, those are important. It's, it's gotten so bad that there are whole front offices that use the analytic approach and are terrible at evaluating human interactions, whether within coaches and players or within the players that they put together. One of the, the criticisms of Daryl Morey was that he was like that with a lot of, a lot of players. You know, you've heard the rumors of, players basically not liking, liking to come down to Houston because he treats you like a, a piece of a, a of stock or something. Like he'll just trade you on the, on the drop of a dime. 
And, and to me, that's that's a skill set that you have to have as a general manager, as a coach, to be able to um, understand human beings and the importance of things like a vet. And it's lost because a lot of the, the people coming out now, especially the younger the younger fans, they really just don't see that part of sports anymore. Um, I invite anybody, just go look on YouTube about interviews from players, old and new, uh, great and non-great, about the impact of what their vet did for them as players and the impact they had on their careers. There was a, a video of um, Colin Sexton from Utah. I think the first like month him and uh, Mike Conley were together, this dude was almost in tears saying the impact that Mike Conley has had on his life. These are the things that we're missing in Houston. Um, Jalen Green, uh, you know, to me, what he, that stretch he went through was almost a mental, almost depression it looked like. I, I'm glad he's coming out of it, but that stuff is real. Like what Jabari is going through now, um, a lot of the times everybody in Houston is so caught up on what's going on with them. The coach is about to get fired. The GM is trying to make himself look good. Everybody's trying to get their own minutes that you miss that structure to support these kids as they develop. And so, you know, yeah, I'm definitely with you. The vets are important. And I feel like, you know, one of the things I'm hearing with, and I'm jumping a little ahead here is that like if they wave, like all these guys we got back um, from some of these trades, Danny Green is known to be a, a great vet. That's his, 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 his tagline, the NBA, Danny's a great vet. You know, everybody says that Danny's a great vet. I, if I was a Rockets, I would keep him, even if it's for a couple months, just for that. I would pay him out of my pocket to say that I'll pay millions of dollars to invest into my players that I hope to compete with next year to get them around a, a multi-champion and a guy that's known for doing it the right way. Maybe that could just by osmosis seep into some of our players and make them that much greater. But I'm sure they're probably going to end up waiving him because that's not really important. And, you know, what I mean, and let Frank Kaminsky and Boban, I guess, uh, uh, do that for them. But so I'm just saying those things are very important. And I feel like, honestly, for our front office, too, um, they haven't really shown an affinity to um, leaning towards that veteran structure on the team. And I don't think it has anything to do with tanking. I just don't think they think it's important. Yeah. And I, I want to just defend Daryl for one thing, because I know he gets criticized for looking at these guys as a piece of meat. But the one thing that I like about Daryl, and this is what I'm talking about when I look at what Brooklyn might do, I don't know if they're going to hold to this this summer, but what they might do is do what Daryl did, you know, and, and what I think can be done is you don't have to bottom out. You just continue to make deals where you get 5% better or 3% better. And, and you get players, you make one player and you turn them into another guy that's a little bit better and a player after that that's a little bit better after that. And that's what Daryl would do. And the Rockets didn't bottom out. They, they, the highest they picked was what, 12th, 14th, something like that. So when you look at um, what the Rockets did back then, and, and, and there were veterans around. There were, there were veterans around practically that entire time. Guys that could help you, guys that could be, you know, P.J. Tucker, Trevor Ariza, you know, they, they always had those guys. Now, I understand they were more competitive at that point. But even when they were at rock bottom, you know, right after McGrady and Yao were out, then they still had guys. There were guys out there that could do that. And so it just seems like it's something that's lost its value. And I, and I feel like fans missed the boat on this in a big way. And I just hear it over and over again. Um, let's go to the Rockets trading Eric Gordon in that three-team deal. You mentioned Danny Green. John Wall is back. But he's not back because he's already been uh, let go. Um, by the way, Frank, what is this now? We've spent 
$100 million on John Wall now not to play over the last, what, three years or something yeah, like that? Yeah, we're going to throw another $6 million on there. Um, but, yeah, it's the trade for Eric Gordon is actually, you know, if they do keep Danny Green, I would be thrilled. Um, I'm going to give uh, Rafael Stone credit here. This was actually um, a good trade, um, given the circumstance that he's put himself in by not trading Eric Gordon earlier. Um, if I looked at it in totality, yes, this is his fault that we are where we are. But in a vacuum of where Gordon is in his career, um, you know, what his value and the value and perceived value around the league, basically, essentially what the, the Rockets did was um, they were able to get a, a top six protected pick swap with the Clippers for Eric Gordon. And the way you can look at the value of this trade is that if the Clippers finished with a worse record, or worse in the standings than the Bucks. Um, basically, the Rockets can pick between the two of which which um, which pick they're, they're gonna they're gonna take the lower pick. And yeah, right now I'll just say that it's between the Bucks at twenty eight and the Clippers at eighteen, and it gets all exciting when you look at it right now. But the Bucks have been really hot. Maybe they fall back a little bit. Maybe the Clippers, who made a couple of deals, they besides Eric Gordon, they picked up Plumlee. Um, I, I don't think the Bones Highland thing is gonna help them out a whole lot, but. You know, may, maybe they get a little last second rush now that Kawhi's playing more often and you add a couple of guys. So maybe that's really close. Now, if if it stays around in the area where they are right now, yeah, that's definitely better because that's this is about the point where maybe it was a little bit higher. I think it was number 16, but this is where you got Shane Goon last year, a couple of years ago. Yeah. And and to me, it's it's a good pick. I mean, and, and what what I mean, like if you look at the right now, the Clippers are uh three games from being out the out the playoffs. And if if Kawhi goes down, who knows? And the with the West retooling and being as competitive, there are no off nights, only when you play Houston and maybe San Antonio. But <laughs> every other team is bringing it and everybody thinks that they can make the playoffs. So I think it, it's actually a great pick. And the, if you want to put a different spin on looking at what the pick could be, is that usually when teams move up in the draft, you have to give up a couple picks. Like uh, in previous years, like some teams, if they want to move from like the 24th pick to the 18th pick, you might have to give up like the 26th and the 29th pick in a future draft, two first round picks. So that's another way to look at the the value of having this swap, especially where the Clippers are at. Even if let's say the Bucks stay at 28 and the Clippers end up at, at 20th, that is a 8.8 um, uh, point jump in the value of your pick just by having that swap there. And if you look at that from a real draft where you try to move from 28 to 20, that's going to cost you a first round pick and some, some change. So it's a good, it's a good, it's a, it was a good bet. And and I think that um, it's something that, you know, I'm going to give them kudos on. The only thing that I, I will be mad at if they wave Danny green, like I hope the only way that I would not be mad at that is Danny doesn't want to be here and I don't blame him for doing that. If Danny says, get me the hell out of Houston, buy me out. I'm not trying to deal with this. I want to get to a real team. Then yeah, then we can't do anything about that, but I'm hoping, and I'm praying. I don't know if we'll ever know this. It's something that we want him here, but he doesn't want to be here. Then I, I can live with that. But that trade, I mean, that's an A plus trade for me um, in its, in its vacuum. If I look at it in totality of what Eric Gordon possibly could have got you two seasons ago or a season ago, because obviously the, the uh, lie about him wanting to be here to mentor the 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 players was not accurate because he wants to get out of here. Um, then it'll probably be like a like a C plus or a B 
Um, but just with within a vacuum for Eric Gordon at his age now, how he's played, even though he played uh, better, he's been bad pretty much all season compared to himself. Um, I would say that it was a, it was a good trade for the Rockets to make. Yeah, I heard a lot of people say, well, Eric Gordon's been a pros pro with the Rockets and he's been a pros pro vocally, I guess, for the most part, but he hasn't been a pros pro on the court. A pros pro is playing just as hard for a team like this as he would for any other team. And I understand it's human nature to maybe give it up a little bit, but there's just times where I just felt like he's just not into it. He's not trying. And I would get mad at these guys too, but you, you, to be a pros pro, you've got to be somebody that's willing and ready to hustle all the time. You're getting paid good money. Uh, You're getting to play in the NBA, you know, and and there's going to be nights where as a, as an older player, but they're not letting him play back to backs. So that's not an excuse for him. And as far as uh, just that, that pick and the value that it's lost, I agree with you. Like it, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, you could complain about if this is all you got, but, at this point, it's, I mean, I might have been the best that they can do. And we got to remember this pick, Frank, people forget about it. This is part of the Harden trade because they got the Milwaukee pick. It was supposed to be originally for 2020 uh, or two. It was supposed to be last year. This has got to be better than Mar- Marchand Bochamp because that's who Milwaukee got. And that was a pretty good selection for them. And I think that's a guy that the Rockets definitely could have used. I like Marchand Bochamp. And I know, Mike, uh, your buddy loves him too, but I'm thinking that, you know, the Rockets need to really improve on that with this particular pick. And I know everybody loves this draft, but I think the draft is great at the top. It's exceptional. After that, it's a lot of question marks, just like most drafts. But I would say it's a little bit better through the lottery. And then from what I've seen after that, it's the usual Maybe this guy can do something, but who knows? And, you know, it's a lot of it's a lot of just throwing, you know, darts at a wall for the rest of that draft. I would say I also uh, think of the point that this we probably don't draft. You know, I'm assuming we won't even draft this player, but the value of that pick is is much better. So if we're trying to sell it to another team as part of a, a trade package, it's not the 28th pick in the 23 draft anymore. It could be the 17th pick, you know. So, so to me, that also adds if we um, wanted to use it as part of one of the first round picks in a to get a player, uh, maybe if you don't land where you like and you're with your own pick, you pair that up and throw in something here and there. You can go get something uh, right there, then and there, and give a team two picks in, in a loaded draft uh, to get off of a contract or a player that you really like and they might be kind of moving on from. So, yeah, I think there's multiple. Um, aspects of the pick improving that I, that makes it a, a good move for them um that yeah i definitely think it, it was it was a great move one of the big frustrations frank is the fact that you know we talked about it through the season with silas not playing some of the guys that we wanted to see some of the younger players for guys that aren't veterans that you know make you better or aren't veterans that are helping these guys out on the court but a garrison matthews or a bruno you know, uh, Bruno Fernando or those two guys who I'm going to talk about in a second, who they just let go in another trade. That's just basically a money deal, but they did get a couple of second round picks for those two guys. And, you know, Kaminsky and holiday who are going to probably be gone at the end of the year. But if you look at it, Frank, the frustration is that, you know, you're, you know, less about who some of these guys are because 
Silas just hasn't played him enough. And and you want to know where you are with some of these guys because we knew, we knew the whole time they had to have a good evaluation on as, or as good as they could on everybody going into this particular offseason. Yeah, that that was always strange. And I, I don't know if they have enough time to really get data points on all the players now, but um, I think the point of you making of playing guys that really have no impact on your future, um, whether and they, they don't not bringing much outside of what they do on the court. So, yeah, I mean, the, the Garrison Matthews of the world get playing literally almost starting last year, especially on the second half of the year. Gary, Garrison Matthews was was starting pretty much. You know, he would start a lot of the games that Eric Gordon was out in his place. And now now what? You know, so and it, it does. Yeah, it is kind of weird. I think Coach Silas was just thought he was doing what he was trying to do to win. Uh, but, yeah, obviously those weren't winning moves for him. Um, th- these next, like, 30-something games or however many games we have left, um, if if they don't really try to start doing some things to really assess these players, I'm going to be, once again, be like, what are we doing as, as, a, as an organization? We still have a lot of unanswered questions that we need to know, you know, about some of the guys on the edges, the J- Josh Christopher, he should get a lot more burn now with Eric Gordon done because he may be somebody that you want to move on from, but you want to know what his real value is. We want to know about Garuba. What is his his real value? The Tari Eason of the world. Like, I want to see if Tari, maybe get him some time to start at the three, um, you know, rotate it out with KJ. I think KJ becomes a new starting small forward now. Um, but as the season goes on and you get towards the end of the year, uh, we know what Kenya Martin Jr. is. He's a professional. He's a great player. Get some Tari uh, starts at the three. Um, just mix it up. Be creative and put these guys in positions where you can truly assess what you're trying to get out of them um, and not just let Coach Silas just do whatever he thinks he can to try to secure a victory. Um, all of that ship has sailed. He's had plenty of times to try to play all these vets and try to win games, and he has failed horribly at doing that. So right now, the prioritization should be data points. Data points, data points, data points. The Rockets need to get data on all of these guys so we can know who needs to be moved um, next year. Because once you start bringing in vets, you're going to have to cut cut your losses with some of these draft picks. We just saw the Warriors trade away James Wiseman for essentially five first-round picks. Um, and so this stuff happens. You know, if you look on there, uh, Denver got rid of Bones Island for two picks. This is what good teams do to young guys that even though they might be talented and good, if you're not adding to winning in a way that's substantial to their overall goal of being a playoff team or a champion, then they're expendable to them. So if the Rockets are going to step into that realm of saying that we want to go for the play-in or we're going to turn it on, then, hey, is Jacob somebody we can use? No? Okay, let's move him. Maybe you can get a second for him. Garuba, you know, all these guys. Hell, maybe in a couple of years it might, might be Tari. And we just seen with Wiseman, if, if Jabari doesn't pick it up, Maybe in two or three years, Jabari's getting shipped out. This stuff happens. This stuff happens. And this is just the reality of the NBA. What you don't want to do is not give the, these kids the ample opportunities to show you who they are. Um, they need to spend these next few um, last games of the season doing that. And so we can get a clear gauge of who are the guys that we need to keep showing and keep giving more time to or who are guys that we can just move on from. It feels like all of a sudden Silas has woken up out of some sort of coma in the last 
few games and he's thrown the fit at the podium, which everybody saw. I'm not telling you guys anything that I know you serious Rockets fans didn't see his, you know, little fit that he threw about the defense, which, you know, everybody was like, oh, I'm glad, I'm glad to see that. Well, it took him two years and 57 games or 55 games of being the worst team in, in basketball and the worst defense in basketball for him to finally throw a fit about the defense. It's just, it's, it's beyond me. And it was, you know, it was a, a fit that I'm like, if, if any coach threw that fit at me, it wouldn't be inspiring, but somehow I guess, cause that's about as, you know, crazy as Silas gets, they came out the next game and everybody looked like they were playing defense, except one guy in particular, a guy that, you know, frustrates me is Jalen green. And I, that's still, I mean, it's still a major concern with him. And, you know, I just hear, I just, I see all this stuff about Jalen green and every time he scores 40, everybody, Oh, he scored 40. He scored 40. And I'm like, I can't take this guy seriously. I just can't take him seriously until he starts playing some defense until he starts. It's not, I don't necessarily have to see him play perfect. I just want to see hustle. I don't want to see him not even trying to get back in transition or when I'm watching him, you know, I'm isolating him, watching him on defense, that he's always two feet or three feet late on a closeout because he's, you know, you can be lost, but it sometimes just feels like he's just not paying attention or he doesn't care. And and that's the kind of thing that I, I just get tired of listening to. I don't want to hear Jalen Green is him every time he scores 40 points. He ain't him. You know, him's you know, would have made a couple of defensive plays. And when you lose by two points, that's all it takes a couple of defensive plays and you win the game. And, you know, it's not a whole, it's not a lot to ask from a guy that's getting 30, 30 minutes a game. And who's supposed to be one of the best athletes to come out of a particular draft. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm with you, I, I but I'm not going to like throw away the 42 points, but yes, everything you, you you're saying is valid. I also think that the 42 points is is valid is something significant as well. Um, the only thing that I would say is that um, his his defense is concerning um, to me, not because he can't play defense, but like you said, the effort part. It's one thing if he's getting beat, just being beat like he's being beat because physically he's not capable a defender yet, but the effort is there. He's trying, maybe he's fouling too much. I can live with that. But when you're not even trying on a lot of plays where um, you're getting backdoored on a lot, where you're late on your closeouts, you're terrible in rotations. Um, and when you're in isolation, once the first move gets you, the recovery isn't there. Um, it, it is concerning. And that's more of a, um, I look at that as a coaching issue more than anything, because I think that Jalen wants to be coached. He's just not being coached correctly. Um, you know, Alperen Shangun gets coached really hard. And he said it himself, you know, when him and Silas had the little deal um, on the on the sidelines where he called a ti- basically called a timeout or or got him out to, to tell him something and put him back in the game. Um, Alp, he said it was my fault and uh, that helped me wake up and, you know, it made me play better. Um, Jay, I need I need that from Jalen as well. Like that. I, the irony of that is right after that play happened, Jalen had about two or three string of plays where he was turning the ball over, taking a bad shot and getting destroyed on defense. And nothing happened because I was just clapped on. So the hypocrisy there also is terrible for culture. Um, you know, I, I think the coaching has just been poor. Um, I, I don't like the culture that the Rockets have set uh, currently right now. Um, I think they can't fix that by bringing the right coach in because the right coach is going to be a buffer between what the front office's 
ideals are and as far as like on a day-to-day thing with the players um, because that's the coach's job. You know, the front office, you can set the big plans, but as far as the, the uh, you know, accountability, all, all the kind of the little stuff, the who's going to be held responsible for what, the head coach is in charge of that, and you hold every man accountable on that team, including your your assistant coaches, if they're not doing their jobs and getting these guys right, like getting guys to be shooting better. They should be hearing about it in the in the in the coaching meetings why you know the Rockets are shooting terrible across the across the board, and so there's just so much that that they could do better at. Um, I think Jalen, um, he he doesn't seem like a selfish person, so. I think once the right person steps in, he'll be receptive to it. He's just not being led the right way right now. And, you know, once that happens, I think he'll be okay. Yeah, and let me just be clear. I'm not throwing away the 40 points that he's scoring. But what I'm saying is, if he just adds a little bit of defense, we start winning games. If you can score that many points, the reason I get upset is because I look at his, he's the way out of this. And, and I get upset because the guy that's the way out of this is just not trying and he doesn't care. And, and, and that's a big factor in this whole thing. And, and I look at him and I, I just go, man, how, how is somebody not pointing this out to you? If, if it's not a coach, if somebody is not saying something to him. Who would do it? Who are, who are they missing? Vets, the stuff we talked about earlier. This is why you have veterans. This is why you have a good coach. Those are the two areas that, we have failed across this uh, rebuild and it, it is going to delay a lot of the development of the players. But if let's say Pat Beverly was on our team and you think he would just sit there and let Jalen just be lazy. No, th- there are guys that would literally try to fight you if you're being lazy. So that's, you know, one of the things that to your point about understanding the human aspect of your players, seeing a talent like Jalen green, seeing all the potential, loving him enough, to put people around him to get the best out of him in every way. And I think what the Rockets are doing, everybody has something going on. There's so many competing agendas on that, on the, in that franchise that they're missing the fine details of cultivating a, a nice winning culture um, that's going to take them over, over, over the, to the next level, like we're seeing with Oklahoma City and the Orlandos of the world right now. We've talked about Shane Goon's been held accountable recently. We've talked about K.J. Martin's been held accountable recently. I'll throw in another guy that's been held accountable all year because he couldn't see the court and he's finally starting to see the court. And guess what? It's mattered that he was held accountable because Josh Christopher is playing some really good basketball right now. Yeah. Yeah. Josh is balling out. Um, Yeah. I think once again, to me, somebody was telling me that, Oh, every player is different and some guys you can't be too aggressive with. And yeah, that's true. But to me, everybody should be held to the same standard as it comes to effort. And Josh you know, his a lot, he did make a lot of dumb plays um, to start the season when he did get his chances. But um, as we've seen last year, he's more of a, once he gets a lot of volume and an opportunity, he does get better. So um, it's great to see him playing like the way he is. And I'm glad they did it because if we had ignored him just to play whoever, uh, we might've just threw him away and not known that, Hey, this guy might actually be something that could lend to winning. Um, I like that what I'm seeing from Josh. He still gets a little ton of vision randomly, but that's a young guy stuff that he'll clean up as time goes on. One thing from that um, that whole Silas thing, what was funny to me is that they said uh, that, oh, we, we sat down and finally we watched film and we were shocked at some of the effort plays that we saw from that game. And to me, my question was, have y'all watched any of the games? 
Like, I have to look through these games, and that wasn't even that bad of a game for effort. Like, I've seen worse. Within the last, like, 10 games, I could pick out three or four games that were worse than what they did, like the one in Minnesota. Like, so that tells me they don't – they really don't watch film. I don't think they watch film as a team, especially for a young team, because I was like, man, how do, do does Coach Silas let these guys put this type of stuff on on tape? But this is that to me. This is I. I, I it just goes. I, we keep going back to Steven. John Lucas would not put up with this stuff. John Lucas has been around forever, way longer than Silas. We think, oh, Silas has been around for whatever twenty years or whatever as an assistant coach. John Lucas has been around since the nineteen seventies in the NBA. Like John Lucas. Like I, I, there, you see a different level of effort when he's coaching this team, and I it just it, it I just keep going back to the fact that that this is about Stephen Silas refusing to stick the hammer on any of these guys, refusing to be the tough dad that you need sometimes, and you just you go back to that over and over and over again, and every time they're tough with some somebody and whoever they've been tough with, and you and I have talked about this ad nauseum. I, I'm sorry to repeat it for the people that have been listening before, but I mean, it's it's worth saying again because all of the stuff that we're talking about has sort of come to a head in the last week or two with this team. And, you know, you 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 basically get back to the point that this is Steve, like Lionel Hollins, I, there's no way. There's no way he was like that as a head coach. So I can't imagine he's sitting there going, oh, yeah, yeah, guys, keep doing what you're doing. Don't hustle. Don't get back on defense. You know, don't put in, don't put forth the effort. And Josh Christopher, like, there's a lot of things you can criticize Josh Christopher from the mental side. But the one thing about Josh Christopher that I, I feel, I don't know if you feel any differently, from the day one that I've seen Josh Christopher play, he hustles. Yep, always. That's always been his thing. He always goes hard. Um, the, like you said, the mental lapses are there. But just like Tari. Like, to me, you can live with a player that's trying hard and messing up, especially a young player. Um, what you, what I really dislike is the lack of effort. Um, yeah, so I would rather rather see that from them. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what the dynamics are with the other coaches um, as it relates to what they see from Steven Silas. I'm sure they're being respectful, um, you know, looking at the chain of command and not trying to overstep themselves. But I would be curious to see if, if you could, like, put, give them some truth serum to see what do they think about the coaching style of their head coach? Um, I'm sure they you would probably get some some different takes from that. But um, yeah, I don't like I said. I, I assume that we're not going to have to talk about him next year. Um, if we did, then I think if Steven Silas is still the coach next year, Raphael Stone probably needs to be fired um, because there's no way that he could look at this this guy's assessment of his players that he's drafted and and, and brought in and say that. He's maximized them. So I trust him with all these assets that I'm going to bring into the organization. There's no way that he can think that. And I, I keep going back to the same thing that I've said for weeks and months on end with this roster. And one of the big things that I just think Silas is incredibly incompetent at is the rotations and who should play and how they should play. And the most frustrating thing to me all season long, and I felt like this all season long, that you had a three-man big rotation of Tari, Jabari, and Shangoon. And I have people, you know, get mad at me, and they're like, well, Jabari's not ready to play center in the NBA. And I'm like, I watch P.J. Tucker, and I get it. P.J. Tucker could physical up against some guys and stuff like that. But I saw P.J. Tucker 
And I'm trying to remember some of the other just midgets that D'Antoni would throw out there at center. He would just go small ball and he would go, forget it. We're going to, you know, we're going to have to try to outscore you with our bench instead of what the Rockets do is like they come in with guys that basically grind the offense to a total halt and can't do anything. And they would have like a, a Bruno Fernando out there who sets a pick and then tries to get in the pick and pop stance. Like you can't hit a shot. Why are you out there at 20 feet when you set a pick? It's just, you know, and, and Garuba who has literally zero offensive game. And basically you're playing four on five when you're playing with Garuba in the game, like it should be Tari, Jabari and Shingo. This is where it should be right now. But I just have a feeling we're going to get back to, oh, it's Garuba in at center for 10 minutes. And we're still going to have Jabari sitting on the bench for most of the game or, you know, for 28 minutes instead of playing for 30 minutes, which is what he should be playing at this point, because Jay Sean Tate's going to start getting more minutes at the three or something like that. But I mean, it's just that's the thing that really ticks me off because, you know, this is a team that has such a hard time scoring to begin with because they just don't have guys that are ready to be good offensive players yet. And when you stick out Bruno and Garuba out there, it's it's a joke. And and it was that way with Daniel Tice last year. And I have to think so much of this is a, is a Silas thing. I have to think that this is a Silas thing. Because even when some of those guys aren't available, he'll go to Bobine. So I have to think it's a Silas thing. Yeah, he has. I'm sure it is. Um well, luckily we don't we don't have the Bruno uh, excuse anymore for him to come in and, and and take some of those minutes. I think Jabari can play the five in in certain lineups. Um, I mean, if Evan Mobley can do it, because they're pretty much like Evan Mobley's rookie year, he was just a, like a stick figure like Jabari is. So it, it's just a matter of he probably is going to struggle, but at at some point in the future, Jabari is going to be your small ball five. He's probably for fourteen minutes. He's going to struggle. So what? Yeah, Let's yeah, see what yeah. what it looks like, man. For, Forget, I don't care about his defense. We don't play good defense anyway. Just make the offense look a little bit nicer. And you know, when the ball goes in the bucket, I always say this, it's much easier to play defense than when the ball doesn't go in the basket. Right. And to, to his thing, though, he does have to play a lot better. Um, and I'm sure that maybe Jabari is one of those guys that he can't play 30 minutes or he shouldn't play 30 minutes as a rookie because he needs to be eased into the game. But I just don't think we have the structure to even provide that type of like, okay, we're going to ease you in because everybody around him is pretty much in the same boat as him. So, yeah, it's – it's. I think – I mean, if you go further back enough, it's like why do we have seven first-round picks on our roster in the, in the first place? I think that's kind of the original sin is trying to develop all these guys sam- simultaneously without a plan um, and just hoping like, oh, just by us being an NBA franchise, they're just going to figure it out. No veteran structure or coach that's laissez-faire when it comes to discipline. Um, but – um, yeah, it's it's going to be kind of uh, funny to to see, or not funny, but like interesting to see what what moves that they make and what roster trots out the first game of the season, because there's a you know there's best case scenarios where you do get a, a Wemby or a Scoot, um, you use your picks and get a free agent, um, maybe Harden comes back, and then you have a deep competitive roster that you could try to start building with. Or there's other scenarios where we're rolling out next year with pretty much the same starting five um, that we have now. Maybe we use the our picks to get um, one, maybe a small forward or somebody or a couple of guys that can help us, um, you know, in random positions. But, um, you know, a lot of the guys that we have here right now are going to be the ones that are going to be doing the heavy lifting next year. And if that is the case, 
what have you done to prepare them for that in a season where you want to win? Um, you don't want to give a pick to OKC. And even if you're, you're even okay with that, um, you've already said to the fan base and the ownership has said that we're going to be good in 2023. So um, they put a lot of pressure on themselves this season and they haven't really done a lot to prepare for it. But, you know, maybe there's a miracle for the Rockets and maybe they can flip it around or I'm not sure what they're going to do. But um, so far for today, like this trade deadline, the the, the Eric Gordon thing was a positive uh, for them. Um, what they did with uh, Bruno and and Garrison Matthews, that was, yeah, that was just a money move. They helped Atlanta um, lower some sal- cut some salary and we took on some contracts and got two two second round picks uh, uh, for our troubles. These are the type of moves they should have been making all throughout this rebuild is our roster turnover should have been just crazy. And that's what you want to see on a team that's so bad and and tanking is a roster turnover, taking swings on, on random players and just taking salary dumps and accumulating as many assets as you want, uh, as you need to be able to go hunting as we've seen during this trade deadline, that teams are loaded. Teams are throwing around picks like they were going out of style and the Rockets as much as bad as we are, we're, we don't have a lot of assets in the next few years. We're probably one of the least least um, asset-rich tanking teams in the NBA. If you look at everybody else, Orlando, OKC, um, San Antonio, uh, Indiana, even hell, even Sacramento, all the other teams, they have assets. They have multiple first-round picks. They own all their picks. They have picks from other teams. They, you know, they've been taking salary dumps and flipping all these players and trading them at the deadlines and doing all this stuff. Like we should have been doing that. What Utah is doing with Russell Westbrook, we should have been done that a couple of times. Hey, are you want this $40 million salary for a first round pick? Yeah. Bring him to Houston. We'll flip him for you. You let him come here and whatever, run around, play, flip him out. You want this young uh, Cam, Cam, uh, Cam Reddish? Bring Cam Reddish. Bowl Bowl? Yeah, we'll take him. Wendell Carter for a pick? Yeah, we'll take Wendell. Like these are the moves that we've missed out on. Well, we, we did it. We did it with John Wall. That was the one we did. That it was with. the one person we did it with, and he was a guy that we intended to play. That was not even. In, that was just to be. Don't even get me started on the Wall thing. But even if you look at like the amount of seconds, let me. I'm going to read off the names real quick. I know we're running a little long here, but I'm going to read off the names of players that were acquired today by teams just strictly off of second round picks. No first round picks. Just strictly off of second round picks. Jay Crowder, James Wiseman, Mo Bamba, Bones Highland, Gary Payton II, Matisse Teibel, Josh Richardson, Thomas Bryant, Mike Muscala, Mason Plumlee, and Darius Baisley. These are all guys that were traded today for second round picks. The Rockets have been sitting on their thumbs for this entire time. Um, I, good job for them getting it done, like doing something this deadline. But man, we sure did let a lot of leave a lot of stuff in the field. We left a lot on the field with, with our roster. We left a lot in the field with moves that we could have made, actions we could have got in on. For the sake of what, I don't know. Because at the end of the day, they're probably going to flip all the, all these um, all these players for just something else. So, but you know, I like what I saw today. If today, if I looked at it as a, uh, like a school, today was a quiz and they passed it. The final exam is going to be this summer, and we're going to see what they do with that. Sometimes I think the second round picks are something. And sometimes I just think they're cryptocurrency. And there were so many second round picks thrown away today. That was like, maybe they're just like these Bitcoins that, you know, you're like, what are they worth? We don't know. They could go up. They could, we don't know what second round picks are anymore. I, I, there's something I want you to think about, Frank, uh, in, for a future show. 
I'm going to just stick this into your head and uh, give it some thought. Is there a guy or two or three that you think will become available this summer that the Rockets can focus on with those Brooklyn picks? Think about that for the next show. And I'll finish it off by just asking you what's going on with Rockets Chop Shop. I'm sure you guys have been covering the draft extensively. What else have you got been over there and what's going on? Yeah, we just did a um, a two-hour live stream um, on the trade deadline. So we kind of went through, uh, not even just all, just Houston, went through the entire, uh, some of the major trades in the NBA. So if you guys want to go over to the channel and check that out, um, definitely look into that. Um, and then, yeah, we, you know, join us for our post-game lives um, as join the Chop Shop community, a bunch of dedicated fans. Um, we love our, our, our audience there. They're in the chats you know, talking about rocket sports. And if they ever want to come up and talk during the live streams, they just hit the link and join us and, and come chop it up with us. But yeah, definitely uh, reach out to the channel. If you have any questions about anything that, you know, or any content that you'd like to see from us. Sounds great. We're going to keep doing this and hopefully uh, we'll get some maybe W's before the year is out that we can talk about and some more of those. And if they can continue to play a little bit, like they've played recently, uh, a couple of the games, that would be great. We'll see with Eric Gordon gone. I don't know how many W's, but yeah. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.